Omaha! Omaha! Congratulations to all our Mississippi State uh, fans. Uh, Joe is not here this morning uh, to begin our time. Um, so we're just going to begin. Uh, Joe, no, I'm 14. I wasn't here last week. I was out. Oh, where were you, Ron? Yeah, it was weird. I was telling Blair Johnson earlier. Mm -hmm. I was in Omaha. Omaha! I know, it's weird. Omaha! Yeah, I don't know if anybody heard uh, about that. But it was a big All week. All week. All week. So, yeah, congratulations again to all our Mississippi State uh, fans and uh, welcome to the state of, uh, and congratulations to the state of Mississippi. Yep. Uh, special for all of those guys like Roan and Joe and Jeff Cook and maybe some of the others of you in here that That's were. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're actually in uh, Omaha, 20,000 uh, Mississippi State fans. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool to watch. Um, I was not in Omaha last week. I was sick. And rumor has it that I may have had COVID. I don't know that I had COVID, but I don't know that I didn't have COVID. I had temperature. Don't tell anybody. Okay, I, I won't tell anybody. I'll just tell this group right here. This is nobody. Right. Um, so, yeah, I was sick for a week, and I, um, uh, but I'm, I'm back. I'm glad to be back. Uh, so much appreciate John Norton uh, pinch hitting at very short uh, notice. Uh, so, um, thank you, John. Thank you, John. Um, this morning, um, in our um, continued series on manhood, and of course we've been using uh, the book of Joshua as a, as a metaphor, as a template, um, but I've been going through uh, this book along with uh, Joshua, Patrick Morley's book, The Christian Men, a conversation about the 10 issues men say matter most. And certainly the issues that we've covered um, are uh, things like marriage and um, our children, friendships, uh, work, uh, identity. And the eighth of the 10 uh, that we come to now is lust. And um, what we're going to do over the next uh, four weeks during the month of July is really talk about sexual intimacy. I don't want to talk about lust for four weeks. Um, I feel like that in many ways, what we do um, in our uh, Christian teaching and our coaching, our counseling, is we're too focused on the don'ts and not clearly focused enough on the do. So don't lust. You know, don't think of red-faced monkeys. Nobody in here can think of red-faced monkeys. Quit thinking of red-faced monkeys. I just think that's the wrong approach. Um, and so I'm excited uh, that Ron and I um, are going to uh, share this uh, podium uh, together um, in this format. And what I want to invite you to do is, as you're listening to what we have to share today and then over the next three weeks, is I want you to write your questions down. If you have questions, write them down. Um, you know, put them on a little piece of paper or something and give them to us, and we, we'll do our best to even answer the questions um, that, 
that you give us um, as we go through this. And so I'll uh, be clear about what we're going to do here in uh, just a minute. Um, but as we begin um, this morning, um, let's just simply open in a word of prayer, ask God to bless our time, and we'll, we'll jump in. How's that? Father, we thank you uh, that you've given us uh, another Thursday morning uh, at Men's Roundtable. Thank you for this place. Thank you for Ceasefire, uh, for all the leadership at Ceasefire, Lord. I pray you keep your hand on them, uh, Hugh and Mr. Jimmy and uh, uh, all others, um, and that they would continue to be a light um, in this community. Um, Father, you have brought us here this morning. Uh, there is nobody here that is here on their own accord. You've already done a work in our life uh, in bringing us here. None of us are smart enough, have the hunger to pursue you enough without you first pursuing us. So thank you for that gift already, that you love us, you're pursuing us, and you brought us here. Do your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin uh, with kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, in mind, I've got a song for you. The title of our series is 50 Ways to Love Your Lover. And we're kind of doing a tongue-in-cheek playoff on a song that that might remind you of. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon. May God open your heart to what he has for us this morning as we listen to this song. Words are there for us. Enjoy. Please. 
session um, is in contrast to that we want to give you 50 ways to love your lover so be on the alert stand firm in your faith act like men be strong words from first corinthians 16 13 follow with me as we read our introductory um, paragraph for this series 50 ways to love your lover. Biblical sexuality is sacred. That may be the most important thing that we say the rest of the morning. That's what we're trying to communicate. And we're losing sacredness in all forms in our culture. Biblical sexuality is sacred. However, many couples struggle to have a healthy view of sexual intimacy. Root causes and ideas that damage a couple's intimacy in marriage will be addressed in this series. We will go straight to Scripture to discover the God-designed framework for sexuality. And as we go through the series, again, I ask Roan uh, to join me up here. Uh, and Roland will now do this series. We're obviously taping it like we normally do. It's podcast because we want 
these next four weeks to be a package that you will use in your own personal life and that you will use this with your sons and daughters and grandsons and uh, all friends um, that will give you a template for how to view biblical sexuality because I don't think we've done a very good job uh, of offering this with one another. But let me tell you just a little bit about why I've asked Ron to do this. Of course, Ron and I are great friends. I would ask him just because we're friends. But much more importantly, Ron is, of course, a licensed professional counselor, a national board certified counselor. Um, he's a CSAT therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor. He's a certified clinical sex addiction specialist. He's a clinical associate with the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists. And he and Eva have helped hundreds of couples recover from sexual brokenness and move into wholeness. I am delighted that my friend is not only um, uh, my choice to work with in lots of different ways, but he's gone through a heck of a lot of training in the 15 years or so that he and I have walked together. Um, he is becoming widely known as a national resource and couples are coming in from all over the country to uh, seek help through Ron and Eva's expertise. So welcome with me, my brother, Ron Hunter. Yeah, you know, Phil, that obviously this subject is uh, very near and dear to my heart. And uh, I always say, I, yeah, I've got all that, but I'm still figuring this thing out too. And uh, I think just in the world today that we live in, um, you know, the, you said it earlier, you know, one of the problems is that the church uh, has just been silent around what is healthy Christian sexuality. And because we have been silent, uh, the culture has won. And, and we are living in an upside down, backwards culture when it comes to sex. Anything you hear out there is pretty much backwards and upside down. And so certainly uh, Phil and I are so on the same page uh, in just like wanting to like help not only ourselves, but help others in the process of figuring out what, what does it mean to be healthy and whole when it comes to our sexuality? Uh, and we certainly believe that scripture, uh, it, I mean, there's a thread throughout scripture around sex and, and the bad side and the good side. And so it is so important that we, as men, begin to figure this out. I think there's a reason why the covenant that God made with Abraham may have been a reminder of how important this area in our lives, how important it is. It's sacred. It's sacred. Remember that. What, is, what does that mean to you? And that's what we're going to try to tease out. One of the resources that we want to expose you to in several weeks when we started meeting back at uh, Vertical Church and we got uh, out of the pandemic mode, 
um, I think I shared this with you as a resource, the great sex rescue, the lies you've been taught and how to recover what God intended by Sheila uh, Ray Gregor. Greg Wall. Uh, That's why I'm here to correct his <laughs> mispronouncing well, of names. In okay. East Tennessee, okay. we say Gregor. Okay, <laughs> so so that. Um, but this is a resource that we're using. Uh, we would recommend it um, to you. Um, so as we begin, as we always do, let's do just a bit of journaling. Pick up your pen, and I have three questions for you. Um, three questions that I want you to uh, respond to this morning. Number one, how did you learn about sex? How did you learn about sex? Write that down. This is just between you and God. Nobody's going to take your paper up. You know how I learned about sex? Boy Scouts. You know, here I was. What, 12, yeah, the, I got the sex uh, merit badge, sex education merit badge. Not a good deal. So, you know, how do you think that worked when I'm 12 and I've got 14-year-olds teaching me about sex? That, that's not the way we would draw that up on the blackboard, but that's how I learned. I, I had no idea what it was um, until then. So it's a good thought because, again, we want this series to be a resource for you to use it however you want, to help you understand more clearly, and to even offer it to those that you mentor and guide and parent and grandparent. So I, I learned about sex, as many of us have learned, uh, through pornography. I was exposed to porn when I was around eight or nine years old, and uh, yeah, I learned about sex, and none of that stuff is healthy. Uh, my mother's attitude was boys will be boys. So it was, and, you know, in the, in the 60s, uh, at the advent of the sexual revolution, um, we're still reaping the whirlwind from that, and it's getting worse. But yeah, it was just like, you know, eight or nine years old. Uh, that's how you learn about sex. And I think that's a common experience for many of us men. So question number two, what has been the most damage, what has been most damaging to your view of sex? What would you say has been most damaging? I mean, let's say that you did have a good sex education experience and mentor. But somewhere along the line, um, the waters got polluted. I would say in my life, what's been most damaging um, is um, what I believed a woman was early on. Um, that the idea uh, of a woman uh, to me was to make me feel better. I mean, even as a fifth grader and a sixth grader, I remember my aunts and my great aunt kept asking me, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? And of course, I'm thinking, no, why would I want a girlfriend? But then it, it, it logged in my little soft brain, I need a girlfriend. If they're asking me, do I have one? It must mean that I need one. And so I started immediately, first grade, I missed the bus because I'm playing kissy face as a first grader 
with Susie Diver. Um, and it, it was like game on at that point, that in order to feel good about me, I needed a woman. Yeah, yeah, pretty common for sure. And, and I think certainly uh, the, you know, most damaging for me is just the, what the view of woman that pornography gives you. You know, she's an object. Uh, she's there for your gratification, uh, for your pleasure. And, um, and then she just becomes a receptacle. Um, and, you know, in the book, uh, The Great Sex Rescue, um, that's not only the message that's out there we get and form in our heads um, in the world, but that message is also preached and taught in church. She does a great job in this book of pointing out this idea that somehow, woman, it is your responsibility to take care of your man's sexual needs. And if you don't do it, then he's going to go get it elsewhere. Um, that is, that is. I mean, you probably sat and heard sermons around that. And she does a great job of debunking that myth because that is not biblical and it is not the truth on any level. It is wrong. Amen. So third question, what do you think would improve your sex life? Now the, now, the easy answer um, to that is typically a four-letter word. M-O-R-E. <laughs> Wrong answer. And I would say this, that even to me, when I answer that question, what do you think would improve your sex life? It is so hard to even write this phrase, um, but I, I've experienced the benefit of this. And the phrase is, talk with my wife. What? Why would I want to do that? And, you know, Carl and I are in a season of our life that our sex life is better than ever. I have to say, though, it's kind of like the old country song. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good once as I ever was. You know, it's kind of like that. It's it, it's a different season of life uh, for sure. But uh, the enjoyment and the scariness of talking with my wife about our sex life at this season in our life is what develops the intimacy even beyond the physical experience of sex is just the ability to talk. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. It's, that's one of the things that you don't hear a lot, right? An older guy, I mean, a really older guy, like, you know, <laughs> uh, like I mean, talking about, like, he and Carl, this, their sex life is, is awesome, right? Um, I mean, even I've been married 40 years, and I would say the, the same thing. At this point in our life, like after lots and lots of practice, man, it, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's, I believe, the way that God intended. It's not perfect. We're not perfect. We, it's a marriage. But man, it is, it is what I believe God has in store for all of us if we are intentional about this area of our own lives and in our relationship. It is available. 
And so often you don't hear that message. Um, I don't know, I've been in church a long time. I've never heard any couples talking about that area of their lives. Uh, one of the couples that even I've trained under, Drs. Cliff and Joyce Penner, uh, they've got to be in their 80s or something. Now. I mean, but even when they were in their 70s and they're up there talking about their great sex life together and how awesome it is, it's like it's just a natural kind of a conversation that two adult married people should be able to have. It's always interesting to me when this subject um, is brought up in a church setting or a Sunday school setting or any kind of Christian setting. You know, you get all the little snickers and all the kind of little comments starting. And, and really, where we are sexually uh, is we're at a very adolescent stage um, in our sexual development because this idea of just being able to have an adult conversation is just about damn near impossible for grown adult couples to even talk about it. And it's really like we're still little teenagers in the back seat and, you know, you kind of put your arm here, oh, oh, oh she doesn't push back, oh, can I do that? And we've got this little sexual dance that we do, but we don't ever actually have a real conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And that's a setup for a lot of rejection and shame. And uh, there's a lot of problems that go along with the lack of talking, communicating with our wives. So um, as we dig into this, I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as you're turning over there, I want to um, address one issue uh, right up front, theologically. Uh, these would be the kind of issues that I talked about when uh, I was in seminary and, and I've uh, said at many churches. And, and this area of egalitarian or authoritative approach to marriage it is a big debate. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to clear that up here. Do, uh, so if you come up to me uh, at the end of this and you ask me, Bill, do you believe in an egalitarian uh, or an authoritative view of marriage? Now, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but, but, but the idea is egalitarian. Do you believe in a mutuality, an equal view of marriage between the husband and the wife? Or do you believe in a more of authoritative view of what Scripture uh, says, that the man is the head and the woman submits, and here we go. Uh, now, that is a worthy debate. It's, it's a worthy, uh, I mean, I, there's godly men on both sides of that fence that would argue both sides. And, and you may have your clear position. And as I say, some of you don't know what in the world I'm even talking about. But what I am saying, apart from the egalitarian or authoritative official position, is that we are teaching in this session a mutually valuing of one another. So if you want to catalog that as an egalitarian view, then you're welcome to do that. But I'm not comfortable with you pinholing me in an egalitarian view, much less in an authoritative view. But what I am interested in is that when husband and wife come together in the bedroom, that there is a mutual valuing of one another, that the man doesn't get to say, well, you know, I work hard, so I deserve sex. Dude, that is what we're trying to debunk in our brief time together. 
Sex is sacred. It is sacred. And that which you sit across from in your bedroom or lay next to, she is sacred. We want to up the value rather than somehow you having to pull rank in order to get your sexual needs. And I put that in quote, met. Wrong. So mutually valuing one another. Well, even in the book, you know, she part of the uh, thing about this book is she surveyed somewhere around 20,000, 25,000 evangelical Christian women. And in one of the questions uh, com comes back, women that are in this egalitarian type mutual relationship are much happier. Uh, they feel much safer and much more secure than in kind of the, you know, I'm the man kind of deal. So I don't know about the theologians that believe that that's right, but I, that, you know, mom is not happy. So they might want to examine that position. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Their lives might be a little better. Yeah. All right. So I want to just quickly um, go through uh, one initial passage. As we go through this whole series, we'll cover uh, a number of passages. And, I, and you've got room there on your hand. I want you to draw this diagram with me that uh, comes out of um, 1 Corinthians 6. So let's read the passage first of all. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. <laughs> So 6, uh, 12 through 20 is the starting point for understanding um, sexual intimacy. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. And again, there's ways to have sex that nobody would put you in jail for. It's not against the law, but it's not healthy. I mean, you go home this afternoon and look at porn. Nobody's going to put you in jail for that. But obviously, just because it's not against the law, I'm not hurting anybody, still out of bounds. If I went around doing whatever I thought could, I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims, a slave. You know the old saying, first you eat to live, and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food. Stuffing. And again, isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul is moving into teaching us about sex, and the metaphor that he uses is our appetite for food. There's no accident in that. It's like stuffing your body, whether it's with food or as the next phrase says, or indulging it with sex. It's an appetite thing. Appetite. You know, I sit down with a, a bag of frozen Reese's Pieces, the minis, and I'm not going to eat one. <laughs> Especially when I'm really tired. I've come back from deer camp. I get home. I'm just going to have one. No, if I sit there and I'm really, really tired, and I'm just trying to find some comfort, that bag is going to be empty pretty quick. I've got to be careful with that. I can't do that. Indulging it with sex, since the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. One of the uh, things about Christendom that is different than Greek philosophy is that we as the model of scripture in the gospel, we value the physical body. 
I mean, that's why traditionally we don't practice cremation. Again, I'm, I'm not telling anybody don't be cremated and all that, but that's why that's not been a typical part of Christian tradition. We physically bury because we value the physical body. Um, unlike Greek culture, which, which says the physical body didn't mean anything. Verse 14, God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity. Now, there's a word that if we're going to see sexual intimacy as sacred, we've got to uh, put that in our techniques. Dignity. Where's dignity? The value of another human life. Not objectifying, but truly valuing and bringing dignity into the bedroom. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. Wow, Eugene Peterson's using pretty strong language there. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. <laughs> There's more than just, let's just have sex. No, it's sacred. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue, hear this, the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. Guys, Ron and I make a living, especially Ron and Eva with their specialty, Make a living on that phrase right there. Lots of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. It's not a biblical view. It's having sex, but it's not honoring one another. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. Guys, I believe that more than ever. It is so sad to me when we sit at deer camp, when I sit in my office, and we hear the stories of men who have been sexually abused. I mean, you would be shocked at the number of men, and even the number of men in this room. I'm not, I wouldn't do this, but if I had everybody that's been sexually abused raise their hand, you would be shocked at the men that, that were honest. Um, and, and that when we are we cross the boundaries, the God-given boundaries of sex. Um, we have crossed into a never-never land, a loss of innocence. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-model love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. God owns it. Now, here's the diagram quickly that I want you to draw. Um, God's given us a playing field. I mean, it's like the football field of life. And in um, that playing field, the sacred playing field, uh, sacred playing field is sexual intimacy. We play the game on the field. 
Now, if you look at a high school football game on any given Friday night, you've got the football players playing the game on the field, right? What do you got uh, underneath the stands, out in the perimeter? Um, what do you got out there? You've got fifth graders and sixth graders and seventh graders with a football, a Nerf ball, running around, <clears throat> running around, playing football. Now that's great because they're fourth and fifth graders. We don't expect them to sit in the stands here, you know, check you after the game's over. But it's like if you're going to play the game, you play here, not out here. Because out here is infidelity. Out here is a loss of emotional <coughs> connection. You lose, you deaden your ability to connect. Uh, out here is addiction. All kinds of addiction. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. And then maybe the most important is a devaluing a loss of dignity of yourself and others. This is like a bunch of junior high guys uh, playing football on a Friday night underneath the stands and out in the perimeter. But it's like this is where the game is played inside the boundary of God. Now, if I were sitting down with your grandson, if I was sitting down with your daughter, um, and guys have brought young teenagers into my office, that's the diagram that I draw. I just sit down and start to help them. I'm not trying to teach them morality. It's wrong. It's wrong. No. I just I wanted to be excited about the playing field. Because that's where it really happens well. Because outside that, it doesn't happen well. Yeah, it's it's basically like the, the, there's order there, and outside of it is chaos. Um, you know, see it you know every week, every day, just about uh, when there's been any kind of uh, infidelity, uh, and that includes pornography. I always put that in air quotes because. You know, so many of us think that that's just kind of harmless, right? No, it is infidelity. Uh, I'm not being faithful to the woman that I made a covenant before God and a commitment to, to love her and her alone. And so we have to begin to think differently about the way this stuff plays out. Um, and just to amplify on that 1 Corinthians, the sixth passage, uh, this comes from a piece uh, out of a book called uh, A Holy Longing, and uh, this is the author's take on sexuality and spirituality. Um, God put this great power, sexuality, within us so that ultimately we might also create life. And like God, look upon what we have helped create and overflow with a joy that breaks through our selfishness and says, it is good. Indeed, it is very good. 
That is why sexuality is the most sacred part of who we are. Our creator, father, God, put within each of us, male and female, the ability to create life. I mean, that's his greatest aspect of who he is. And he placed that within us. That is the ultimate sacredness of the image of God in all of our souls. And when we violate that, and we feel it. And it's like today we know that when someone is sexually abused, the long-term psychological, mental, emotional ramifications of that, they are lifelong. And we see that. And if you start dialing that back down the scale, these other areas of our lives where we are violating the sacredness of what God has placed in us, they have this destructive effect on our souls and that's why the old message of just well just don't do it you know well you if sex is bad it's dirty uh save it for the person you love and marry that's like boy that's exciting right i mean but that's kind of the way we got taught in church often um and just this last piece around this um we will be happy in this life depending upon whether or not we have a healthy view of sexuality. One of the fundamental tasks of spirituality, therefore, is to help us to understand and channel our sexuality correctly. This, however, is no easy task. It is such a powerful fire that it is not always easy to channel in life-giving ways. It's very power, and it is the most powerful force on the planet. Kingdoms have been lost around sex and love. Um, it makes it a force not just for formidable love, life, and blessing, but also for the worst hate, death, and destruction imaginable. Sex is responsible for most of the ecstasies that occur on this planet but it's also responsible for many murders and suicides. It is the most powerful of all fires, the best of all fires, the most dangerous of all fires, and the fire which ultimately lies at the base of everything, including our spiritual life. So that's why it is important to develop a healthy understanding and even a healthy theology of sex and sexuality. Excellent, Ron. Uh, one of the things that is just so sad to me um, at, at this season in, in my life, and, and, and Ron um, and I've talked about this, and we've experienced this so many times, whether it be in our group settings with men at deer camp um, or in our individual office, is that a guy can tell me a five-minute story of his life and I know that there is sexual trauma in his background. I don't have to hear much more than, you know, something that's going on in the present, but he's acting out some kind of trauma from his background. Mm -hmm. and, and that just uh, uh, solidifies this idea that sexual sin is different than others. Uh, it does affect us in a deeper way. So once again, it is sacred. Mm -hmm. We need to protect ourselves. 
protect our bedroom, protect our children. So, oh, by the way, just like sexual trauma, being exposed to pornography uh, when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, that is a form of sexual abuse. I mean, no, I think most of us as Christian men would say, you know, if I had known what I know today, I would have run from that stuff. There's no way in hell I would have ever pursued that, right? Because ideally, and not blaming parents, but understanding this idea that that's not the way it was supposed to be. It's just like we understand sexual abuse, molestation, but to get exposed to this stuff when you're not ready for it, that is a form of abuse. It's not overt, it's more covert through neglect, but that's trauma in your own life. One of the dangerous instruments mm. of all. Wonderful instrument. I love it. it. There's so much good that comes from this, but there's so much bad that can come from this, and it requires, once again, the boundaries that we talk about. It's sacred, sacred, mm. sacred. We got to watch this for ourselves, and we got to watch this for our children. Very clear. Now, now we're not saying don't use cell phones. <laughs> we're saying oh, you buy no. more cell phones. Definitely not. Buy more cell phones. Buy more cell phones. <laughs> Just on the record, I'm not. I'm not stupid. You know, five G nationwide. Five <laughs> G nationwide. Hallelujah. Um, so all of that in way of introduction, and now we're ready to dig in. <laughs> so as we continue, that's the way this is. Going. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, uh, you know, we're we're pretty long winded. We don't have a problem with uh, talking, but um, we've got these fifty items uh, um, in uh, Jeff has flashed the uh, outline up there, so you can fill in the blanks. And, um, and we'll go through these as we continue. But just a couple of closing comments. And, and by the way, the, the other um, resource that I wanted to expose you to this morning uh, is Jay Stringer. There's a video there on your uh, handout, uh, the, uh, the link uh, to the video. Um, that uh, The video is about 23 minutes, uh, and I was going to show you like a six-minute clip from it this morning. It's well worth watching to be exposed to Jay Stringer, uh, but this is a book that we use uh, as a resource to help men begin to address uh, past trauma uh, and past issues, because even the way that you have viewed pornography, the kind of pornography that you look at is, it, is an indicator of, of the brokenness and the loss of innocence that you've experienced. And Jay Stringer does a great job um, of, of addressing this. Um, but uh, Ron and I, again, are, are so desirous that you would take what we're giving you over the next few weeks as a resource, first and foremost, to sit down and evaluate and assess your own personal view of sex. 
And then secondly, we want you to use this resource to have a conversation with your wife. Just take, take, take her through uh, the outline. Courageously sit and just talk and talk and listen to her. You know, how do you, how do you view our sex life? And here's 50 over the next four weeks, we'll give you these 50 um, statements. We'll give you 10 um, today that we'll go through. But we want this to be a resource for you that will facilitate intimacy, knowing your wife and talking. Yeah, and certainly a resource for your sons and for your daughters. Uh, every time we do deer camp, um, you know, this subject comes up because there's men there, right? Uh, if you have a pulse and a penis, uh, this is an issue. And one of the things that's just so common, and I hear it in my office all the time, like, you know, how did you learn about sex? Well, I mean, I don't recall somebody saying, well, you know, man, mom and dad just had great conversations with me about sex. I mean, we'll have occasionally, uh, mom or dad gave uh, somebody a book by James Dobson or, or some something. But that's about the extent of it. And so it's this idea of beginning to have the conversation and training and helping your children understand so they don't repeat the things that, that we've all done and make the same mistakes. Because you, you can do it different. But one of the reasons we don't talk about it is because of our own shame that we've never resolved. So, yeah, it's kind of the first step. I've got to look at my own issues around this. In order to impart healthy, I've got to get healthy myself. Because uh, it's the old adage, you know, do what I say, don't do what I do. Until I start doing, I, I need to quit saying. Good. So just in closing, AOL.com keyword, <laughs> keyword, sacred. You are sacred. God has made you special. Sexual intimacy is sacred. Protect it, value it, esteem it. Close prayer. Father, thank you uh, so much uh, for your guidance for your word. Help us to hear in a way that we've never heard before. Teach us, uh, affirm us, correct us, and give us the courage to sit with our wives and listen and have a conversation for the purpose of knowing and being known and being a reflection of the intimacy that you want with us by being closer with our wives. Thank you for our time this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.